all of us, irrespective of religion or background or thoughts, grapple with uh, a number of common questions. Every human being does this in every culture, in every religious uh, group. And the answer we give to these questions matters enormously. And the questions are at least these three. What will make me happy? What's the good life? And what's a good person? So imagine tonight at the pub, uh, after church, we're there and we walk up to some people down in the front bar and we say to them, hey, uh, what do you think will make you happy? What do you think they might say? A million dollars to buy part of an apartment. Free beer. NRL. Watching NRL. Is that on tonight? That's not on tonight. It's past, hasn't it? Sorry? I'm a big fan, clearly. Yeah, and no, I was like, I'm sure. Okay. What else do you think someone might say? Love. Okay, so then if you said to them, well, let's get a little more philosophical. What do you think constitutes a good life? What makes for a good life? What do you think they might say? An easy life. Lack of struggle, lack of hardship. That's a good life. Freedom. Freedom from the oppressive tyranny of mask wearing. Happiness. Yeah, that's a good life. Is a happy, happy life is a good life. Power, powerful, a powerful life's a good life. Family, yeah. The Australian dream, family, house, kids, dog. Yep. yep. Chuck another dog on the barbie. And then if you said to them, okay, well, that's, that's that. They think that maybe you get a million bucks and then you get a dog and you get a house and all that. What do you think makes a good person? What do you think they'd say? Kind, generous. Tolerant. Yeah. Tolerant of all views except those i don't like yeah yeah so look who knows the answer we get all kinds of answers it'd be interesting to chat and think sorry let's actually do it well i'm about to give you the answers and tell you what'll make you good no i'm not i'm, I'm going to do that because what we find with christianity is that jesus gives us the answers to these questions and they're very profound. And his answers are simple and paradoxical. Uh, and in fact, when you, when you dig beneath the surface of the answers that many people in our culture would give in the pub and so on, you'll actually discover mostly they got them from Jesus, uh, even though they might not recognize that. A lot of those values come straight out of Christianity, even though you might not recognize it. So let's have a little bit of a think about this. Um, what Jesus says is what will make you happy and what is a good life is living with him in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so that is, if you want to know what, what's the good life, it's actually living with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. It's living in heaven now. In fact, he described that kind of life as eternal life. 
that's the good life. Uh, and this is what will make you happy. Or in the Greek word, makarios, blessed. You know, that, that's the path of blessing, of being truly happy. And the path of living the good life is actually to live with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Let me do a recap with you um, to show you. Uh, this is a little picture from a while back. I'll draw it again. Um, this is how it works, right? Uh, here's the world. And here is you. And you're happy. And here's me. You're pretty harmless. And, uh, and we're grappling with these questions and we're trying to live and make life work in this world and live a good life and be a good person and, uh, you know, find happiness. Uh, and here's God and uh, the kingdom of heaven. This is the place where his will is done, where everything works just the way it should work. And what Jesus does is he brings the kingdom of heaven to us and makes it accessible to us here on earth. If you, if you remember the start of Mark's gospel, it says, repent, change your mind and believe for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here and it's available to anyone who wants to be part of it. That's what he said. It's not, you see, uh, Many cultures, and including Jesus' day, would say, well, living with God, if that's the good life, that's the sort of life that's only attainable by super religious people, super together people, super smart people, super whatever good means. That to be a good person, you have to be super good. And then if you're super good, maybe you can attain the good life. You can attain life with the divine. Jesus comes and he says, ah, got it all wrong. It's actually open to anyone who really wants it. And the way you get in is simply by trusting me and following me and learning from me. Right? So anyone can come in. And when you read the Gospels, you see that's what he does. He says, it's, he talks to, to the, the crowds of, of ordinary people, of, of tax collectors, who, collaborators with the oppressive occupying powers with sex workers, with uh, the sick and the maimed and the Gentiles and the Samaritans and people who would never be considered to be happy or living a good life or be good people. And he says, you guys can come in and live with God in the kingdom of the heavens. Wow, that's pretty extraordinary, right? So um, what is... Uh, what is what will make me happy? What is a good life? What is a good person? Well, it's life with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. Now you might say, ah, oh, but, but you haven't answered. If you're, if you're listening carefully, you'll go, but Mark, you haven't given us an answer to what's a good person. And do, do I have to be a good person to get into the kingdom of heaven? You have to be a good person to get into the kingdom of heaven. No. No, you don't. But getting into the kingdom of heaven will make you a good person. Because once we learn from Jesus to live with God, he'll give us a new heart and he'll start to change us. And we'll learn from him. This is uh, how he puts it in um, 
uh, the gospel readings that we had. This is uh, Matthew 11 um, in the message translation or interpretation of the passage uh, that James read. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Which is another way of saying, are you exhausted from trying to be good and trying to fit into all that our culture says will make you happy and give you life? Is this just crushing you? And maybe you're being crushed by religion as well. And now I'm trying to fit into God's standards. And it's, he says, Jesus says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the invitation of Jesus, is the, the way to be happy and to live a good life is to keep company with Jesus, to learn from him. And then it'll be light, because you'll be living in the way that God has made you to live. And it's not a crushing burden, because you're not doing it in order to get in. You're not doing it in order to prove yourself. You're not doing it in order to, to make your own life work. You're learning from Jesus that you're loved, that you're accepted, that you belong, that all your parts are welcomed by Jesus and healed by Jesus. Uh, at the end of Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel, um, the reading that we heard was from Matthew 28. 18 to 20, the so-called Great Commission. And this is what Jesus says when I can find it. Uh, this is again from the message. He puts it really in a really interesting way. Jesus, undeterred, this is right at the end of his life, before he goes, ascends to heaven, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life marking them by baptism in the threefold name. So notice what Jesus is saying is Christianity is not just a set of ideas, though it is that. Christianity is in fact a way of life. It's a way of living with Jesus in the kingdom of the heavens now. And you do do this by marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you're to instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you, and I'll be with you as you do this day after day, right up to the end of the age. Now, some profound implications about how to be happy and how to live a good life and how to be a good person. Uh, and firstly, I've got to have a discussion with you about yoga. How many, don't show hands. Some of you may like doing yoga here. I don't know if any of you have tried doing yoga. I've done one yoga class in my life. It was a hot yoga class. It was a crowded yoga class and it was in Canada and in our gym where I did this yoga class, there were many people from all around the world and doing yoga right in front of me in this hot, sweaty class was a very large man from a part of the world where many of the men are quite pursuit, hairy. And he was a very hairy man. 
And he was a very large man and he's a very sweaty man. And so I'm busy trying to do yoga and in my down dog and looking at this. And I have this vision of great sweaty hairiness in a pair of short shorts and a tank top. And I thought to myself, Pilates is for me. But here's the thing I've learned about yoga. Aside from the fact you don't want to do it in the heat with hairy men. Uh, when I talk to people about yoga, they always talk about their practice. There is an understanding in people who take yoga seriously that if you really want the benefits of yoga, what you need to do is not just the exercises, but the whole spiritual and emotional and physical reality of yoga is this thing they call their practice. And they're always doing their practice. And I, I've spoken to many people in this community, not the church, but the broader community. And, and when we've talked about it, they'll talk about the centrality of their practice to their mental health, to their emotional health, to their recovery and so on. And I thought to myself, man, we have a lot to learn from them in that sense. Because they understand this massively important truth about life. Nobody ever watched their way to greatness. You don't watch a yogi to become good at yoga. You, there is very little benefit in that. You don't, you don't become great at anything just by watching other people do it. Now, admittedly, YouTube is an incredible place to go and find instructions on just about anything. And for someone who is genetically incapable of reading instruction manuals, YouTube has helped enormously because after I've initially tried to do something and realized I've stuffed it up and I should read the instructions, instead of having to read the instructions, I can find a YouTube video and you can, it's extraordinary what's online on YouTube. You can get instructions on just about everything. But there is no point in just watching the video. You've actually got to do it. And in life, in all of life, if you want to achieve anything, you've got to practice. You've got to embrace the discipline of practice. Professional musicians still practice their scales for hours a day. Why? Because the practice is what makes them great. And what I love about Christianity is that it predates uh, pretty much all of this, and we find for three and a half thousand years, long before yoga hit the shores of our culture, uh, God's people had been talking about the spiritual life as a walk, as a way of life, as a, the thing that we have to put into practice. And then Jesus uses those words explicitly, that we need to learn from Jesus everything that he has taught us we need to be instructed in the practice of, of life with Jesus in the kingdom of the heavens. That's how we are to live. Uh, and it's, it's not, this is not an invitation, if you recall last week, to stop it or try harder religion. It's not that. 
It's not a, ah, oh, you're struggling with all these different parts. Remember, we talked about the different parts that we have that make us up, some of which are very uncomfortable and, uh, and difficult emotions and behaviors and patterns of relating. It's not that. It's not a stop it or try harder. It's a welcome in. And then you do your part once you've been welcomed in to put yourself in a place where you can learn from Jesus. You put yourself in a place where you can learn from Jesus. It starts with our hearts. The, the, thing that do, you've, the, the thing you and I have to do from the inside out is we have to want this life. You have to want it, right? Like if you don't want it, it's not going to happen. Now, maybe, so that's why it's interesting, isn't it? With Jesus in the New Testament, or he comes across a, a sick guy next to the pool of Siloam and he says to the guy, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Like, what a question. You think it's obvious. Of course, I want to be healed. But no, Jesus knows our hearts. A, an awful lot of us don't really want to live life with Jesus in the kingdom of heavens. Well, actually, part of us does. Now, if I'm honest, part of me really likes what Jesus has to say. And the, the, but, but this is the part of me. I like the idea that Jesus will give me the gift of going to heaven when I die. Like if, heaven, if there's even a chance that heaven is real and hell is real, it seems to me going to hell is a really bad idea and going to heaven is a really good idea, right? Even a remote possibility that those two things exist, I want to avoid hell and get to heaven. And I like the idea that Jesus says, hey, Mark, if you trust me, you can you know, get out of hell free and go and live in heaven. And you go, yes, I like that. Okay, great. But there's another part of me, and maybe sometimes it's a part of you as well, that actually finds Jesus' way of life very unappealing and annoying. Like the idea of actually learning how to live from Jesus seems remarkably intrusive and inconvenient and difficult, right? Think about it. Jesus says things to you like, I want you to care for the poor. Now that's annoying. Like there's a lot of them. And, and actually caring for the poor gets in the way of our own pleasure. Like how can you just relax and live a self-centered, hedonistic, pleasure-seeking life when you're aware that there are billions of people living in poverty? I mean, that's really annoying. That, that's a bummer. And Jesus says, well, you should love the poor. You should love justice. Do you know? And that's annoying. I don't like justice. I like justice for you, but I love uh, getting away with stuff for me. So, so part of me loves the idea of Jesus getting me out of hell and getting me to heaven. But another part of me really doesn't like the idea that I actually now need, if I really want to be happy, I've got to learn from Jesus. Jesus says other stuff that's really difficult, like, um, just think of them. Um, forgive people. That's a bit nuts. Like the, the history of humanity is really clear that it's much more fun and much more instantly gratifying to, to get revenge, isn't it? Like forgiveness? Are you kidding me? Much easier to hold a grudge. Much easier to figure out a way behind the scenes to shaft the person who's hurt you. And then Jesus says, no, forgive, forgive people. And then he takes it a step further. And he says we're to love, and we all go, oh, that's lovely. I'm sure we should love. But then he says, really, 
I mean, outrageously difficult stuff like love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You go, man, I don't. Jesus, I like the idea of going to heaven and avoiding hell, but in this life, quite frankly, I want to hate my enemies and love those who love me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you really want to be happy, if you really want to live the good life, if you really want to live with me in the kingdom of heavens, the heavens, then what you've got to do is you've got to learn how to live from me. And I'm the person who tells you these things, but then who also did them myself. Jesus never tells us to do something that he himself hasn't done. And he shows us how to do it. He tells us what to do. He shows us what to do. And then he gives us the gift of being able to do it. He gives us a new heart. He gives all of this to us freely. And then he says, put it into practice. You've got to practice. You've got to learn. I mean, for, let's, take, um, let's take forgiveness, for example. Um, forgiveness doesn't come naturally or easily to us. But Jesus says, if you learn from me, you'll put into practice those things in your life that make you the kind of person that when you need to forgive somebody, you can do it because you've so practiced being the kind of person who submits to Jesus, who lives with Jesus, who learns from Jesus, that when he asks you to forgive someone, you're like, yeah, I can do that. I'm, I'm with you on that. So live with Jesus. Uh, it's a gift, but it takes practice. The other thing it takes is vision, intention, and means. This is how change happens. So when you're going to practice something, and we're talking about we're developing and building a practice in your life that will lead you to become more Christ-like, this is, this is what you have to do, right? So here's you. And uh, you're not that happy. Um, but you have a vision of yourself. Okay. And your vision is that you are somebody who lives the kind of life that Jesus would live were he living in your place. You are living your life in such a way that Jesus would have lived it were he living your life in your place. That's your vision. And you, you, you've got a picture of who you could be and what God wants you to be and what he's made you to be and how this is all going to work, right? So you, you have the vision. And you, you, you have to intend. This is your vision. You have to intend to do it. Intent matters. You have to decide, and this is about your heart, the place where you choose, right? Has to intend to do this. Um, when I'm coaching people, and if you've ever thought about this in terms of behavior change, one of the questions I'll ask people when they're wanting to do a new behavior uh, is, um, say someone says, I, um, I'll just pick a... Trying to pick a real example. Oh, no, I won't. I'll just pick. I'm going to. I'm going to get up at six thirty every morning and uh, exercise for half an hour before breakfast. Okay, so that's their goal, and I'll say to them, okay, on a scale of one to ten, how where one is no chance at all and ten is absolutely, 
on a scale of one to 10, what do you rate your chances of actually doing that? So I sit there in the coaching session. They go, I'm going to wake up at 6.35 mornings a week and work out before, before breakfast. And I go, okay, on a scale of one to 10, what do you think your chances are of actually doing that? And they stop and they think, and they go, oh, actually, probably it's about a five. And all the data on coaching says, scrap it. They'll never do it. They'll never do it. Until you can come up with, with a self, with a, a rating of eight or nine for the goal, you don't really intend to do it. You're just saying it to get through the coaching session. Do you really intend? You say, there's an eight or a nine. Now, what's the chance of you actually doing this? Eight or nine. Okay, boom, write that down, go for that. Because intention matters. And then you need the means. You actually need the means to do it. Now, where do you get all of this? How does this work? Well, you can, you can, you can discover all of this in the, in the visible dimension, which is cool. You can do some coaching. You can work out some means. You can realize the vision. But, but remember last week, we talked about God at work and God as energy and divine energy at work in the world. And here's the brilliant thing about God. What God does is he says, I will work in your heart. I will energize you to give you the intent to become more like Jesus. And then God says, I will work in the means, the means of grace, in the practice. The means is your practice. And God says, I will work directly on you to make, to bring into being this vision of a life lived with Jesus in the kingdom of heavens in the way that Jesus would live were he living your life in your place. God works in us directly. He works through the practice that we undertake and he gives our, he works in our hearts to give us the intention to work towards this vision, intention, and means. So Paul talking to Timothy says this, train lest you think this is all psychology which it's not or it's all the gospels which it's not the apostle paul says to his young disciple timothy train yourself to be godly it's just another way of saying practice living life with jesus so you become more like jesus now what do you do to do that what are the practices well if you want to get big muscles you know the practice Get on the gear. I mean, work hard. <laughs> you know, take your pre-workout and your post-workout and then go and lift a lot of really heavy weights. Steve's rubbing his sore shoulder slightly. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, back at the gym. Everyone's a little sore. Um, you know what it is to, to in, in this world. Here are some, uh, these practices have been practiced in the church for 2,000 years and by uh, God's uh, people, Israel, before that for 1,500 years. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to explore and unpack these practices. And I'm going to invite you on a journey with me to actually start to put some into practice. That said, you've already engaged in one such practice, haven't you? What is that? What, what's the practice? Coming here. That's it, man. Corporate worship. Gathering tonight is a means to get you from just having the intent to become like Jesus to moving towards the reality of becoming like Jesus. So that's what we're doing here. Like the point of this is to help us grow spiritually. 
So you can go out tomorrow. The goal should be that as a result of this practice together, you will go out tomorrow and you will live your life a little more like the way Jesus would live your life were he living it in your place. That's what we're doing here. So well done. This is fantastic. And looking at you all, uh, you're very faithful in this practice. Well, there are some other practices we can add to it. And they work around this um, uh, acronym worship. Now, worship is the central practice. It's the goal of it all, which is to make Jesus ultimate, to, to have him at the, at the center of our life, the foundation of our life. So uh, along the, the acronym of worship, to, to worship God, to open myself to God, to relinquish the false self, to die to self, to practices to share my life with others, to hear from God's word, to incarnate the love of Jesus, and to pray. So each week, this week and the next seven, we're going to unpack each of these and invite you, as God leads you, to, to, to experiment with, uh, with one or more of these practices and to see what growth God might unlock in you as you practice these things. So tonight I'm going to introduce just one practice around worship. And, uh, and there are many others you could use, but uh, tonight, the practice of making God central, I want to suggest is the practice of Sabbath. Uh, the practice of Sabbath. Now, what is the practice of Sabbath? Well, it's keeping one day in seven holy. The Sabbath keeping uh, has been the... Uh, Many Jewish writers will say, and rabbis will say, that the gift of Sabbath and Sabbath observance has been the critical practice that has maintained Jewish identity in the face of persecution and pogroms for the last 2,000 years. That and their steadfast refusal to intermarry uh, has kept the identity of God's people for 2,000 years uh, since the coming of Jesus and the loss of uh, the temple and uh, central. Sabbath is central. It says uh, God made the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, he rested. I watched, I don't think I've got it on me. I could have played it. I watched a TikTok little video of um, a clip from an, a British comedy, and it was an Indian family talking. And uh, in this Indian family, the, the adult son had converted from Hinduism to Christianity. And he's, he's coming out to his parents as a Christian and he's talking to his parents and they're elderly uh, Hindus and he's expecting it all to go terribly wrong. But his father is just very happy. So the, the son goes, well, he says, well, I've become a Christian. He goes, um, the father goes, that doesn't matter. He says, um, but, but what about, you know, what about Jesus? Oh, well, Jesus was, a, Jesus was a Hindu. No, Jesus was an Indian, sorry. Jesus was an Indian, it's fine. What about Mary? Mary was an Indian. What about Moses? Moses was an Indian. What about Adam and Eve? They were Indian too. And then the son goes, well, what about God? He says, well, God wasn't an Indian. And the son goes, why wasn't God an Indian? Well, because no Indian would take a Sunday off. But well... That is the way of the world that says we've got to work, 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 work. And, and around the world, that's, there's this drive to work, to establish your identity, to provide for yourselves. Taking one day in seven off is a profound act of trust in God. It says it's a practice that says I will, I will trust God to meet my physical and spiritual and relational needs. 
right? I mean, you think, imagine you're a, in a subsistence agricultural world and it's the harvest time and uh, the, the grain on the stalk that you can harvest is all that stands between you and your children starving to death. And one day in seven, you don't go out and harvest it. Like that's faith. That's faith. Now you might say, but hang on, that's all, that's all Old Testament Jewish stuff. We as Christians don't have to keep the Sabbath. Ah, not so fast. Hebrews, um, book of Hebrews chapter four says this, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So when you enter God's rest, when you enter the kingdom of the heavens with Jesus, there's an invitation to rest, an invitation to stop relentlessly trying to make your life work under your own steam and down tools and trust God to meet your deepest needs. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, does that mean every Sunday you should do no work? Maybe. This is what the Sabbath means. The practice of Sabbath means figuring out a way regularly where you can be before you do. Being, not doing. It's okay just to be with God and trust the doing. It's time enough. It's about trust, not anxiety. You know, as we come out of lockdown, uh, you know, the Google mobility data has gone through the roof, which is just a cipher for our anxiety and everything is cranking back up and we're working and you can hear the traffic noise and the planes are starting to go ahead and people are back in the office and the shops are getting full and the restaurants are full. All that's wonderful. But can you feel the, it's just winding up? You're going to have, oh, there was something good about just slowing down reminds me back in the good old days when i was a young man back in south africa and and there was no sunday trading all the shops closed at lunchtime on a saturday it used to be that way in australia and everybody had a day and a half off and 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 on sundays you just you went to church and you were bored you were bored in church you were bored out of church but you were just bored as a kid and that was incredibly good for our mental health and our spiritual health and now, of course, why did we get rid of, why did we introduce Sunday trading in Australia? Why did the shops start opening on Sundays? Because people love money. You can make money. And choosing not to trade one day a week means losing one in seven of your turnover. So let's get rid of it and let's all trade. Let's all work. Let's all work. Let's all work. And you go, well, you just end up with a anxious, untrusting culture. So we have to find a way to trust God. The Sabbath says we value people, not things. Isn't that what lockdown taught us as well? Like you can actually, like people matter. We value intimacy, not activity. Intimacy, not just activity. We value being with people. Right? Uh, in, uh, in Orthodox Judaism, uh, married couples are instructed to have sex on the Sabbath. Every Sabbath Eve, you're instructed to have sex. It's a, it's a holy time of intimacy. Uh, and you're to work from rest, not rest from work. This is very powerful that the idea is that, that we, don't, we don't work, 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 then collapse in a heap. Rather, 
with Jesus in the kingdom of heavens, we live in a state of permanent rest because we're not worried. We're not anxious. God will provide. We have a built-in practice and habit in our lives of experiencing God's provision. Therefore, when I go to work, I go to work from a place of uh, peace and provision, uh, uh, not a place of exhaustion. We work from a place of rest. We don't rest from work. That's, these are the things that the practice of Shabbat, of Sabbath, brings us. Now, uh, we are not a legalistic community where we are now going to enforce one day in seven, you must do no work. And we're not going to get into the whole, the way Orthodox Jewish people do get into the whole, well, what's work? And can I do this light? And can I turn this? And can I do this? And massive, that, that misses the point entirely. Jesus says, um, the Sabbath is made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So you, but the principle is there, regular time where you don't work, but you rest with God and you spend time with people and you gather to worship and you recreate there's a practice to explore and to have a go at. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you love us and you invite us in to live with you in the kingdom of the heavens. And you want to teach us how to live. And you want to give us the hearts that want to live with you. And you provide us with the means to enable that kind of transformation. So I ask for us gathered tonight and for our whole church family over the next eight weeks that you will unlock for us uh, a whole new um, season of growth and of walking with you, of making space for you, of paying attention to you in our lives, uh, of exploring these practices that will result in in us becoming more and more like you. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.